Hello, just a quick heads up before today's episode. This piece might not be suitable for all listeners because it contains references to death and violence. Once. The Escape Room. Rain pelted down on the top of my shitty silver hatchback, the darkness around my headlights darker than ink. Thousands of brightly lit specks flashed in the beams before fizzling out of sight. Aerosmith blasted from the speakers. A mansion on the hill had a single lit window. I was too terrified to comprehend what had happened, what was around me. Normally, that would be the part where I flung open the door and got out, but this particular dream ended as soon as I reached for the handle. This was my recurring nightmare. I woke up with a headache similar to the dull throb that usually followed a night of heavy drinking, only I hadn't touched the stuff for years. It wasn't my sight that first alerted me to the foreign atmosphere. My skin felt fuzzy. It tickled. I was sprawled on my back upon a thick beige carpet in a small room. The walls were painted lilac and bare. This was not my room. Through my hazed vision and pained head, I spotted the door and tried to get up. Once on my knees, I took in the rest of the room. Above was a simple ceiling fan. On one wall was a window with thick blackout curtains closed shut. In the far corner stood a massive stuffed teddy bear in an orange jumpsuit. Next to that was a tall dresser. Closer to me was a nightstand with an unopened bottle of bourbon on top. The drink was the only familiar sight. Opposite the nightstand was a double bed adorned with a thick duvet and a mound of colourful pillows. I couldn't remember where I was or how I'd got here. Nothing else was familiar. I used the wall for stability and rose to my feet when the mound of pillows started to move. Out from the duvet slipped the man. He rolled off the bed and onto the floor, moaning and clutching his temples. His headache must have been worse than mine. I retreated to the door. The knob refused to twist, so I pulled with all my might. It didn't budge. During my efforts, the man had found his composure and grew startled at the sight of me. What the fuck is this? He said, as he sat on the bed. And who the fuck are you? Look, dude, I just want to leave. The door won't open. Why'd you bring me here? Who the fuck? I didn't bring you here, I shouted. I woke up here just like you. The man clutched his head again. Is this some kind of fucking joke? It's not very funny if it is. Do you know what's going on? He gave me a woeful look. What's your name? Dave, you? Let's say I believe you, and you're as confused as I am. How long have you been awake? Not very long. I woke up moments before you. I'm telling the truth. I don't know what's going on. The man turned away and took in the room as I had, only his expressions were more emotional, giving away his misgivings about the place. His head pivoted from side to side, his breathing sped up, his eyes swelled with tears. He was built like a brick shithouse, muscles bulged under his tanned skin, pack a day of smoke a voice. It felt strange that a man this burly could get flustered so easily. The door's locked, but maybe we can get out through the window. He cut his eyes to me, wiping his wet cheeks. Who the fuck are you? I told you, my name's Dave. No, I mean, who are you? How do you know me? I've never seen you before, man, honest. 
He rose from the bed and approached me. His eyes were pale and a thin scar trailed from his chin to his throat, just visible through a layer of stubble. It was only after he turned away to fidget with the doorknob that I saw how large the man really was. This stranger could easily overpower me. My confusion of the situation had turned into fear. Fuck, he said after no luck with the door. He went to the window and drew open the curtains. What the fuck is this? Daylight had been replaced with solid concrete. There wasn't even glass for a window. The man and I stared at the grey rectangle for a while, dumbfounded. Whoever put us in this room wanted us to stay here. After some deliberation, we tried three attempts at freedom. First, we took turns slamming our shoulders and feet into the door, all to no avail. Next, the man tapped around for studs in the wall, but when nothing sounded promising, he tried to punch through them. However, the walls were solid wood, so his knuckles just started to bleed. The last attempt unsettled me the most as it displayed my unknown roommate's sheer strength. He lifted me above his head while I punched the ceiling for weak spots. In the end, we were still trapped, both of us mending bloody knuckles. We decided to try and think rationally. Know anything about that teddy bear? I asked. Looks like it did its stint in prison, the man said with a chuckle. How so? The jumpsuit, prison attire. None of this makes sense. We need some time to think. Seems we have all the time in the world, buddy. I paced around the room and flipped through possible reasons for our capture. We ricocheted ideas back and forth from one another, trying to find a solution to the problem. I didn't know the man. The man didn't know me. He hadn't even told me his name. Whoever put us in here did so with cruel intent. If you've ever watched the first Saw film, it felt like that, minus the shackles and sharp teeth tool. After a few minutes, the man sat on the bed and I slumped down by the front door, exhausted of all theories. As I did, I could hear something rustling underneath me. Check your pockets, I said, and fished out a scrap of paper from my own. He did the same and found the same, both scraps identical. I read it aloud. It cuts the air, gives more comfort than shade, and it does all of this with a spin of a blade. A riddle? The man asked incredulously. So this is a fucking joke. I mulled it over in my mind before figuring it out. The man must have done the same, because we looked up at the same time. He stood on the bed, his boots lost in the thick rolls of fabric, and tried to rip the ceiling fan from the bracket. Like the door, it didn't budge. Try the blades, I said. He wiped his hand along the top of each blade. Dust fell like snow with each wipe, but on the last one, a scrap of paper fell. I fetched it and began to read. A bottle of brown may turn the night red, two drunks under watch but only one fled. The man spoke to me, but I wasn't paying him any attention. Could that riddle mean what I thought? I looked at the scrap of paper again, tracing the words with my eyes, reciting the riddle in my head, before stuffing it back into my pocket. What? I asked. Sorry, I didn't hear you. I said, the answer to that is simple too. The bottle of bourbon had already been lifted from the nightstand and was being uncorked with ease. He tipped it back and pursed his lips. Wait, I shouted. What? It could be, I don't know, poisoned or something. He sniffed and shrugged. It's all poison, mate. He took a long swig and his face puckered when the bottle was lifted from his mouth. He offered it to me, but I shook my head. I, I don't drink. You don't drink? Sober for years. Ah ha ha ha, a married man. No, I'm not married. Sobriety is a personal choice. I got, well... I got carried away for a while, so I stopped. He took another long swig and set the bottle back on the nightstand. 
Boozing's a personal choice for me too, Dave. Well, it was before, uh... Ah, shit. Don't worry about it. The fuck are we gonna do now? Everything should have begun to click into place right then, but it didn't. The clues, the riddles, none of it made any sense. I stepped around the bed and picked up the bottle. I began to look for anything noteworthy on the wild turkey label when the man finally introduced himself. Jensen, by the way. Sorry I was such a dick earlier. Understandable given the situation. You seem like an alright guy, Dave. So, I'll shoot it to you straight, yeah? I've not been completely honest with you. For a second, I thought about how hard it would be to use the bottle as a weapon if I had to. Oh really? How so? When I woke up, I couldn't believe it. He looked over the room again. It's not exactly the same, but it's pretty fucking close. I don't understand, I said, going back to my investigation of the label. Whoever put us in here must have some kind of vendetta against me. This room looks eerily similar to my daughter's room. Why would someone do that? Good damn question. I don't know why someone will drag me and my daughter into this. She's been dead for four years now. I'm sorry to hear that. That's awful. He stared at his feet. There were a single moment in my life that changed everything. It would have to be that. The late night call from the police. The coroner's office. My wife. Well, ex-wife now. Wailing when they drew back the sheet. They say that time heals all wounds, right? It don't know, you know. I understand that more than you know. He looked up and I met his eyes. Nice to meet you, Jensen, by the way. So, here's some good news. I found something circled on the bottle. Here. Jensen turned the bottle over in his huge hands as I passed it over. It's the wild turkey slogan, crafted with conviction. Mean anything to you? I asked sincerely. Don't mean nothing to me, mate. His gaze stuck to the corner of the room. He pointed towards the large plush teddy. You think? Conviction, innit? Like a convict. I dashed to the teddy bear, donning the orange jumpsuit. Obviously, our captor had a sense of humour. I picked the fluffy toy up by the head and inspected the front, back and under the paws. Nothing. Shake it, Jensen said. I did. Nothing. Give it here. I tossed Jensen the bear. He held it close to his chest, then, with a furry arm wrapped in each hand, he ripped the bear in half. Polyester stuffing spilled out and littered the bed. Jensen sifted through the white fluff before he lifted a scrap of paper from the largest wad. He unrolled it and read, My effects it holds, your effects it conceals. Open a drawer, see what it reveals. The dresser, I shouted and ran to the large piece of furniture. I pulled open the top drawer, empty. The second, empty. Each one I opened was bare, just a few pieces of wood nailed together to form shallow shafts of answerless drawers. I hadn't even noticed a giant of a man move, somehow silently behind me. Jensen was hunched over my shoulder, eagerly anticipating some clue for our inexplicable predicament. His reply for each empty slot was a curse word. Then I pulled the bottom one. As I slid open the bottom drawer, I saw something inside, but Jensen's head disappeared from my sight. I turned to find him on his knees, digging into the shallow storage area before lifting a folded orange and blue cloth. He brought the cloth up and sank his face into it. He began to sob. What is it, Jensen? His large hand unfolded the cloth and he stretched it out. It was a cheerleader uniform. I could hear him sniffling behind the name of the local high school. My, my daughter, he managed to get out. My daughter's uniform. How, I mean, how the fuck did this get here? My head began to pound. Was this really happening? I needed to run. I had to run. 
to escape this danger. Even though the stranger was now under me, I could see that his wide shoulders housed muscles from decades at the gym. He was getting frantic, paranoid. Had he been the one lying? Were things becoming as clear to Jensen as they were to me? Was the puzzle coming together for him, yet he refused to educate me on his clarity? Did he know something that I didn't? I thought you said your daughter died. She did. It was after a football game. She was on the cheerleading squad, yeah? After the game, she and her boyfriend drove to one of the local spots to have a bonfire with some friends. On the way, they had a big old argument and she demanded to be let out of the car. The boyfriend, piece of shit, got all pissed and left her at the side of the road. That fucker. Jensen twisted the uniform so hard it squeaked. By the time he cooled off and turned back, he found her dead, in a ditch, side of the road. I had to steady myself with the top of the dresser. My god, that's terrible. Police weren't any fucking help either. Personally, I think that fucking boyfriend did it. Maybe it was an accident, maybe it weren't. He was a piece of shit. Whole family too. Lloyd up real fucking fast. And he had a ton of boyfriends, but he was the worst, yeah? There was a spark from him. Something in his expression changed and he looked up at me. Jensen extended a finger in my direction. How the hell do you fit into all of this then, huh? Who are you? Jensen, calm down. I told you. Dave. I'm Dave. I fucking know you're Dave. All this shit we keep finding out is about Annie. Why? I didn't realise that I was withdrawing until my back hit the door. I don't know. Honest. I've never met Annie. He crumpled to the floor, the cheerleader uniform clutched to his chest. He wailed like a pained father, a father that had potential memories of graduations, a wedding announcement, grandchildren, all stolen from him, a father who would never get to hug his daughter again. He leaned his head on one of the jutting drawers which caused the dresser to sway, unbalanced. I wanted to touch his shoulder, tell him everything would work out, that we'd get out of here, but I was too anxious, too expectant of him to lash out. Instead, I chose to comfort him in a more utilitarian way. Jensen, listen, you need to keep going. Don't give up. We need to find the next riddle. Get out of here. The tension in his arms loosened. The sobs grew lighter. It was working. You seem like a great father, Jensen. I mean it. And Annie would want you to keep fighting, right? He blotted his eyes with a uniform and hugged it as if it was filled out by his daughter. He opened the skirt portion and inspected the inside of the uniform. Under the waistline, he snatched something, then brandished a strip of paper. He used a thick forearm to wipe away some tears and read the next clue. Gather them for your beauty, or to plant a weary head, or perhaps there'll be a weapon for a fight instead. Jensen rose to his feet and draped one curtain over his wrist. Beauty or weary head? Curtains are pretty, we used to darken the room, yeah? Maybe. I said, searching around the room. What about the bed? He let go of the curtain and we both ripped the duvet from the mattress. The throw pillows scattered across the carpet like dandelion seeds in the wind. We peeled off the remaining bed sheets and bundled them all into the corner. Flipping the mattress was easy. Jensen practically did it by himself. While he was using brute strength to rip a hole in the mattress, I started pulling apart the sofa bed near the door. I too needed some room to start deconstruction. By the time we'd finished, it looked as if an avalanche of cotton had fallen from the ceiling. Banks of fluff piled against the walls, broken pieces of wood and wire from both beds littered the carpet. Strips of soft fabric were draped over wads of foam. Jensen and I were exhausted, more so by the fact that our search ended without success. 
I crawled over to my usual spot by the door while Jensen collected the garish pillows and relaxed on them. He reached over to the nightstand and grabbed the bourbon. After a quick drink, he gave a little laugh. <laughs> Dave, mate, I am tired as shit. Me too. My fingers are on fire. My arms feel like jelly. He grunted and his eyes went blank. Swear to God, though, right? If I find out who did this, I'm going to fucking kill him. He looked at me when he said that. I was unsure if it was an accusatory glare or just natural conversational eye contact. Either way, I knew by his tone that he was serious. I concentrated my efforts to curb his hostility. What time do you think it is? I asked. Another quick drink. No idea. I don't know either, but I do know that we need to find the next riddle, and soon. There's no food or water in here, and I'm getting thirsty. Here, he offered me the bottle. Wet your whistle. I'm good, thanks though. I can barely stay awake as it is. Maybe a nap's in order. Jensen took a long pull of the whiskey and returned it to the nightstand. He wiggled on his bed of pillows before finding the most comfortable spot. Nap would be excellent. Maybe some rest will clear our heads up. Help us figure out this last riddle. Beauty or weary head, my ass. I'll just rest my weary head right here on these damn pillows. In the lightning strike of inspiration, we traded glances like we'd both struck oil at the same time. Jensen rolled off the throw pillows and I trudged over the foam and splinters to his makeshift bed. We used the broken timbers to puncture the pillows one by one before ripping them into obscurity. I found the next scrap of paper hidden inside the red pillow. Thick like grass, though it's not mowed. Worn like asphalt, though not a road. Muffled screams and whispers it does do. Litter, hair and dirt, it does accrue. I read it several times in a row, hoping the reiteration would bring clarity. When I brought the paper down, I saw Jensen equally as perplexed. Perhaps it was a confusion, but without a word we went back to his resting spot. His pillow bed was much more lumpy than before, but judging by the rate at which he was drinking from the bottle, he didn't mind. I was against the door, thinking about the riddle, about what was left in the room. Jensen spoke first. This riddle's longer, harder too. I agree. Thick like grass, though not mowed. Grass? Like marijuana? You don't mow that? Maybe like syrup or something? Syrup's thick? He scratched his head. Worn like asphalt, but not a road. A sidewalk? Dirt trail? Litter and hair and dirt. That line's strange. A hairbrush can accrue those things, right? What's that part about screams? He asked. I unrolled the paper again. Muffled screams and whispers it does do. Mate, these riddles fucking suck, he said and took another sip. The poet's no Oscar Wilde, that's for sure. Worn like asphalt, though not a road. The hell does that mean? Jensen got to his feet and took in a mouthful of whiskey. He stumbled a bit and used the nightstand for balance. Look, there ain't much left of this room. I say we break every fucking thing in here. We're bound to find something, right? I agreed. I was ready to leave the room, part ways from this emotional and now drunk man who was distraught from the dredged up memories of his daughter and part ways from my own fear, just waiting for the ball to drop in his side of the court, finally connecting all the dots as to who I was. Jensen went over to the dresser and began breaking off pieces while I focused on the nightstand. It was simple really. I removed the drawer, empty. I searched around the underside for no strip of paper, no additional clue. Nothing that got us one step closer to freedom. I flipped the stand so the legs pointed up and plunged my heel through the centre. The wood snapped and I meticulously scoured the debris for a strip of paper or cloth. 
anything with words. It was then that I realised that the bottle of whiskey was gone. I checked in the mound of foam beside me, thinking it must have toppled over when I upturned the stand, but to my surprise I found the bottle, nearly empty, next to Jensen, who was ripping up the carpet. The remains of the dresser were beside him. His strength and drunkenness had aided his ability to turn a dresser into matchsticks before I could undo the simple wooden nightstand. Jensen gripped the edge of the carpet, pulling it up with all his might. There were faint ripping noises in quick succession and the carpet rose an inch. He re-gripped and continued to pull. Oi, come and help me, he demanded. What are you doing? Carpet. The answer to the riddle might be carpet. I chuckled. <laughs> I think you might be right. And I found this. Listen. He tapped his heel on the spot in the carpet that was directly beneath where the dresser had stood. Every tap of his boot created a rumpling, crinkly noise. Something's got to be down there, under the carpet. Help me. I clutched a section of carpet and helped him, between his breaks to finish off the bottle, of course. We peeled back the carpet, inch by inch, until we had enough in our hands to get a proper grip. A few more pulls and a quarter of the room was bare. I heaved it one more time for good measure, but Jensen spotted something and jumped over the coil of rolled carpet. What is it? What, you, have you found something? I asked as he bent down on the solid concrete foundations. There were a pile of papers on the floor. Clues? More riddles? Some sheets were wrinkled from Jensen's boot rubbing over them earlier. From my angle, I couldn't tell what they were, so I sauntered up next to him. His hands were rapidly going from page to page, his movements angry and frantic. My next step gave me the angle to see over his shoulder. It wasn't more riddles. It was a pile of photographs. What? What? Jensen whispered to himself. What is this? What is this? The fuck? What? I managed to pick one up. Let me see if I can... He was on me before I could say anything else. I didn't get a good look at the photograph, but I didn't need to. I knew what they showed. I knew what they were. One of his large palms tightened around my throat and he slammed me into the wall beside the fake window. In his other hand were the photographs. He waved them around, slapping my forehead with them. Tunnel vision ensued and trapped me in the past. Suddenly, all the clues made sense. Four years ago, I was driving my shitty silver hatchback down a secluded road lined with affluent homes at the top of the hill. It was late and I was beyond drunk, a habit that had already landed me two years without a license and a broken marriage. That night, I swerved and rolled into the shoulder more times than I could count, doing my best to follow the dotted lines. There were no street lamps, so the darkness outside my headlights was as black as ink. I fished across to the passenger seat for my phone and turned on an Aerosmith song. When it started to rain, a sober person would have slowed down, but in my state, with my senses muted by the alcohol and my adrenaline pumping from the music, I sped up. I didn't see her till it was too late. I slammed my brakes on afterwards. I was too terrified to comprehend what had happened, what was around me. The song was still blasting from the speakers, the rain still pelting on the top of my car, but I felt stuck. After gaining my composure, I flung open the door and ran down the road through the pools of water, using my phone light to search. When I found her, it felt like a dream. She was beautiful and young, she was in cheerleader uniform. There was rain diluted blood all around. I was drunk, very drunk but I knew what I'd done. The wild turkey bottle in my car had spilled all over the seat, so I grabbed it and tossed it down the hill. The rain was hammering down so hard I didn't even hear the glass shatter. And then I left. 
I hopped back into my shitty hatchback and took off back the way I came, winding down the road as fast as I could to escape what I'd just done. I deserved to be in prison, a convict. I kept telling my drunk self I deserved to die for what I did. Before I rounded the corner, I saw at the top of the cliff one solitary window lit in a mansion above. It sat prominently on the hill like a lighthouse. That mansion, that window. I always wondered if they witnessed what I did. And now, seeing these photos, that particular angle, I know they not only witnessed it, but took detailed photos of the accident, clearly showing my car, the young lifeless cheerleader, and my face. A face that Jensen immediately recognised. I wanted to apologise, to tell Jensen how sorry I was for killing his daughter. It was an accident. I wanted to ask him for forgiveness. None of this was possible because of the grip around my throat. Those tears of his were coming back, swelling in his eyes before spilling over angry red cheeks. My tunnel vision intensified, my weight sank to the floor. I thought this was the end. Finally, my punishment had come. And then, I felt the empty whiskey bottle beside me. My strike was faster than his drunk reactions. The bottle shattered against his skull and he fell to the floor. A crimson pool of blood began to stain the remaining carpet. I took in three deep gulps of air and sprinted to the door. I shouted for help. I shouted to be let out. The only one who answered was Jensen. He took me to the ground and I fell into the remains of the dresser. Splinters and small nails poked my back as Jensen wailed at my face with his fists. I felt my nose crunch under the force. Warm blood sprayed like a geyser from my brow. I tried shaking him off, punching him in defence, but his sheer strength kept me in place. By then, he was roaring mad, spittle dripping from his mouth, blood pouring down his face and into his eyes, flowing from his chin forming glistening stalactites. His actions sprang from pure hatred. I groped around for something, anything, to defend myself. His weight bore heavy on me and the broken pieces of the dresser started to push deeper into my skin. My face was throbbing and my back was on fire. Blood was making it difficult to see. Blood that I wasn't even sure was my own anymore. Then, my fingers found a long piece of wood. When Jensen rose up and coiled his arm back for another blow, I shoved the piece of wood towards him. I caught him in the neck and he slipped off of me. Without thinking, I grabbed one of the bedsheets and twisted it into a rope and anchored it around his neck by forcing my whole weight towards the ground behind him. He struggled, his massive hands squeezing at my shoes in pleading attempt for me to release my grip. I didn't. When I was sure, I let go. I sobbed after that, but not for long. The window was still barred by concrete and the door still wouldn't budge. I was still trapped. I dug through some of the debris on the ground, the foam, fabric, wood and pillows, searching around for anything that we may have missed. Nothing. I picked up the photographs and studied them with more detail. They were taken with a professional camera, with a high-grade lens that allowed for optimum zoom without sacrificing quality. I was clearly visible beside my dented car. The rain blurred some of the details, but the main focus was clear. The beautiful young woman, now, as I know, her name, Annie, was lifeless on the tarmac behind me. I scattered the photos. I was furious, lost. But when I grabbed them back and tossed them around the room again, I saw a metal wire running between the foundation and the carpet. On the end of the wire was a large loop. Curious, I grabbed it and pulled. Nothing happened, so I tugged harder. The door began to creak open. This whole charade had been planned perfectly. It had been planned so meticulously to make the two of us fight. Whether they intended for only one of us to walk away, I'm not sure. 
but they knew that eventually we'd tear the carpet up, find the photos and ultimately the metal wire. They knew we couldn't escape until the inevitable was revealed. Past the door, down the dark hallway and through a heavy steel door, I was outside, in the bright midday sun, the vast ocean to my right and meandering hills to my left. But something looked familiar down below. The road. It was the road of my accident four years earlier. The one that killed Annie. I turned around to find that I was standing in the yard of a mansion. The one that had a single lit window that night. Directly behind it, from where I had just left, was a modified shipping container. That was where we were being held prisoner. I ran. Down the hills, over a stream, through a neighbourhood. I knew I had to get far away before I could ask for help before someone would lend me a phone to call an Uber or a cab. I couldn't go to the police, or else it would expose Annie's death, along with her father's. Whoever lived in that house, whoever modified that shipping container for some macabre escape room, knew that whoever survived the encounter would never report it to the authorities. And they were right. I still have the same dream, the rain pelting on the top of my shitty silver hatchback, the darkness around my headlights as black as ink, the Aerosmith song still playing on the speakers, the mansion on the hill still occupied with a single lit window. I'm too terrified to comprehend what's happened, what's around me. Only now, in my dream, that yellow window atop the hill turns into a spotlight and points on me as I sob in the rain. Who controls the spotlight? I'll never know. Thank you for listening to The Escape Room by me, Robert Graver. This episode was produced by myself, written by myself, and recorded by myself. Once is curated by Florence Hood, and the credits music by Ben Hood. The audio supervisor is Kat Soloviev, and special thanks to Naomi Hopkins and Eleanor Whiteley for help with our scripts. To find out more about us and our contributors, head over to at OnceFictionPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also support us on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash oncefictionpod. You can make a pledge and gain access to bonus content. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.